Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Please check us out at consumerguide.com. Be sure to check out our 2020 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you're looking for a new car or crossover. Or you may consider skipping to our blog for our complete reviews of the vehicles that have been driven here at Consumer Guide, plus all sorts of other car-related fun stuff. All right, let's see who's with us today. Jill, Jill Simonello, she is uh, syndicated, right, forgive me, Jill, syndicated <laughs> auto writer Jill Simonello. You're here today and you have donut news. I do have donut news. Um, I, I tried uh, another new recipe and last week you guys didn't seem terribly excited about the fact that I dipped it in cinnamon and sugar. So I dipped it in chocolate. And while I fully intended to bring you some, um, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah. then. Sorry, so, <laughs> they're so good though. My, friend my husband of the show, <laughs> friend of the show, Steve King gave me a hard time for making fun of uh, gluten-free donuts. Apparently, Johnny Spotman makes outstanding gluten-free donuts, mm-hmm. so the potential is there. There, and, and Jonathan, my husband, gave these a nine and a half out of ten this week. So, dang, dang. Hmm. What, what so. does he give our podcast? Um, I, I I don't ask that question because I don't want the answer. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> All right. He is the senior editor at Consumer Guide Automotive. He is also the president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association. He is Damon Bell. How's it going, man? It's going well. I don't recall any. Uh, we had no issues with cinnamon and sugar. I think it was the baked and uh, gluten free <laughs> aspect of the yeah. donuts that was yeah. up in the air. Like, uh, Yeah, I like gluten and yeah. I like fried. Anything else seems to fall short. <laughs> Oh, these do not fall short. I'm telling you, they're pretty awesome. All right. Uh, maybe next week. Well, I guess I guess someday maybe we'll find out. <laughs> if you're nice to me. All right. To be clear, this is week, this is week seven without donuts. Is that right? Well, for, for us, not for Jill. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> oh man. All right. After the first break, we are pleased to welcome Robert Colangelo of Green Sense Radio. Robert is the founder of Green Sense Farms, a fascinating operation that you want to hear more about. But first, we have news. Jill, what's that news? Yeah. So, um, you know, it just kind of came to light yesterday that apparently late last week, um, FCA filed a trademark on the Dakota name. And so for, for those of you who may not be familiar, Dakota was a Dodge pickup truck back in, like, I think they, they stopped production back in 2011. It was a midsize truck. Right. And, um, you know, and it was right around 2011 when Ram became its own brand. And then, um, you know, they just had the, the 1500. And so this is kind of interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, first off, it could mean nothing, you know, it could just be, Hey, we're protecting the name for maybe future usage. Um, but you know, another bit of news that came out last week is the fact that pickup trucks for the first time outsold cars. (laughs) So, um, you know, the, the pickup truck market is definitely huge and getting bigger. And and the mid-sized truck segment, which is what the Dakota would be, is an incredibly growing segment. You know, right now the Dakota is is a big truck in that segment. But um, you know, I, I think You mean Tacoma? It, yes. To- Toyota Tacoma. Did I say Dakota? Yeah. <laughs> you said I think you said Dakota. Dakota, Tacoma, Dakota. I think I said Dakota. It's like combining the words Dakota. Yeah, I'm drinking decaf coffee this week, so please excuse me with my donuts. And but but Tacoma is is currently the 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 segment leader. And you know, technically, Gladiator competes. The Jeep Gladiator, which is also an FCA product, competes in this this segment, but. Um, you know, I, the, it's a very different kind of vehicle. So I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of, it's rumor. It's not news, news, news fact. Um, but it's, it's rumor that I think is pretty interesting. It's interesting. Uh, a thing about that is 
it never crossed my mind for a moment that a Ram midsize pickup would not be called Dakota. <laughs> somehow, uh, somehow yeah. I just assumed that. And, and for good reason, actually, um, you think about the pickups that went on hiatus and came back, the Colorado and Canyon, that's the Chevrolet and GMC midsize pickups. They came back as the Colorado and Canyon. The Honda Ridgeline disappeared for a while, came back as the Honda Ridgeline. Uh, and the and the Ford Ranger disappeared and came back as the Ford Ranger. So I kind of, I kind of just yeah. assumed that that this would be the case. And and as for the the segment being crowded, we're about to see the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which is going to be mm-hmm. much smaller, sneak in here, and we'll see if that small pickup in any way upsets things in the midsize uh, pickup segment. Um, but that said. An interesting thing about this is it's going to be based almost certainly uh, on the Jeep Gladiator, which mm-hmm. may make price an issue. As we know, the Gladiator very expensive, actually more expensive than the Wrangler on which it's based. So one wonders if if a Ram product can come in affordably or if it's going to cannibalize sales from the Jeep. It's it's a very interesting conundrum for for FCA in terms of marketing positioning and pricing. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know that it would necessarily cannibalize because like the, the Wrangler, it's it's a lifestyle vehicle that targets a very specific customer. And I feel like the the Gladiator does the same thing, um, whereas the and I'm not going to call it the t- Dacoma, Tacoma, D- <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Dakota would be, um, you know, more of a work truck. Uh, or, you know, an, an everyday family kind of vehicle. It's not necessarily a lifestyle vehicle. So um, similar to how the 4Runner, um, Toyota 4Runner and the um, Toyota Highlander don't cannibalize each other, I think that that would be a sim- similar analogy. I don't think these would cannibalize each other. Okay. I, Damon, I've got a list here for you. Jill, this is for you as well, but I think Damon <laughs> will appreciate it more. Okay. Uh, of, of other names that Ram could use from the FCA. Oh, no. <laughs> from the FCA uh, box of, of forgotten names. Are you ready? Go I've ahead. Got, I've got – you guys can just indicate your, your approval or disapproval by groaning or, or clapping. Uh, Rampage, Raider. Oh. Uh-huh. Nitro. Mm-mm. Matador. Mm. <laughs> Ram Charger. Uh. Ram, Ram Charger. Hmm. Uh, oh, and, no. then Vi- and then Viper. <laughs> mm, no. All right. <laughs> that, that would be a hell no, actually. But um, Ram- Rampage, Rampage and Ram Charger sound good in and of themselves. Although, oh. yes, the Rampage was the uh, K-Car. Uh, what was that? An Omni? Yeah. Basically an Omni El Camino. Yeah, boy, what a what a forgotten uh, vehicle that is. Yeah, that is. Rampage either- and Ramsar. Rampage and Ramp Charger sound interesting until you add the brand name. So then you've got Ram Ram Charger and Ram Rampage. That doesn't oh. really work. Oh, you've got the alliteration, but you've got the stutter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's enough Dakota news this week, I think. Hey, Jill. <laughs> yes. You driven anything interesting lately? I've driven lots of things interesting lately. Uh, um... You tell. <laughs> Um, well, since we're in a pickup truck frame of mind at the moment, uh, let's talk about the Chevrolet Silverado. Uh, I, I have that in my garage right now, and it is a, a Trail Boss edition, and it's the, the up-level Trail Boss LT, and it's a um, crew cab. Then the Trail Boss is the like off-road version, you know, dedicated off-road E. It's, you know, standard four-wheel drive, off-road tuned suspension, you know, which has a couple inches lift over the Z71. Um, and it has it wheels that are probably about half as big as I am. Uh, and I'm not <laughs> kidding. Uh, they are 32-inch mud terrain tires. Um, but, but so it's, it's, it's kind of a big vehicle and does not have a running board. So I'm going to have to take video of me getting in and out of, of this vehicle. Cause I have to imagine it's slightly comical. Um, but it, but it comes equipped with a 5.3 liter V8 engine. And, um, I've, I've only been able to take it out a couple of times cause you know, hashtag quarantine. Um, but, uh, I've gotten it on the highway and it does really well on the highway. Um, but the, the tires are very knobby. So you definitely feel that a little bit and, and hear the, um, 
the the tire noise in the cabin, but the engine is great. Uh, I, I don't like as we've talked about previously. Travic is moving a little bit faster than normal these days, and I didn't feel like I was lagging behind or uh, had a problem like merging into into the fast moving traffic. But um, it's it's very it's it's a very big pickup truck. So with the the crew cab and the you know I, I think it has the the standard bed and um, so like on Instagram I. I typically play a will it fit game and I'm not <laughs> going to tell you the outco- outcome. Um, but I, I've posted a picture on my Instagram page. It'll be coming to, uh, Facebook and Twitter soon, um, of the truck in my driveway. And so I encourage you to go to my Instagram at Jill Simonello and, um, tell me whether or not you think this truck is going to fit in my city garage. Do you, you get a donut if you guess correctly? Uh, maybe you will get a gluten-free so, donut. Now, Jill, you had mentioned the engine in this vehicle. And uh-huh. in fact, the, the, the GM 5.3 liter V8 is one of my favorite engines of practically all time. It is, it is incredibly smooth and surprisingly efficient. And it mates really nicely to that 10-speed automatic. And it's, it's yeah. one of the reasons that, that Consumer Guide has chosen the Silverado and, and the, the uh, Sierra, the GMC Sierra, as a best buy pick for 2020. But one of the things that we should point out about the Trail Boss is that it is a direct response to the Ram Rebel, which has been incredibly mm-hmm. successful for Ram, which yeah. is the same thing. It's a sort of, it's it's off-road tuned, but it's not to, to the extent that you can't drive it on the street. It's sort of a right. serious mid-level off-road thing. And it's got a good kind of butch look and it's kind of oh. tough and rugged. It, it, it should work well. And early on when there was discussion about the Silverado not selling well in the early days of it looking like the Ram was going to outsell the Silverado last year, which it did, um, one of the vehicles that was selling super well for them, one of the trim levels, was the Trail Boss. So this is super popular with consumers, most of whom I suspect are never going off-road. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The thing I think is interesting about uh, GM's new pickups, uh, the Silverado and the Sierra were both redesigned for 2019, and there's just a, a few... Uh, revisions and updates that they get for 2020 uh you know there's so many different options and trim levels that uh you know they do a redesign and then there's little incremental things uh like gm gmc rolled out this uh carbon fiber carbon pro bed um yeah and Mm -hmm. i i think they're the the turbo diesel engine is coming online for 2020 so they they you know it's a full redesign that happens one year and then Subsequent years, there are so many other things that they roll out on top of that. Um, the and and interestingly, of course, the Ram redesigned for 2019 as well. And the Ram really made headlines for its amazing interior uh, yeah. in, mm-hmm. at pretty much all trim levels. I don't think the GM pickups hit that bar the way no. the the Ram does. No. But no. in it, in their own way, I think they are interestingly more of an old school truck interior layout in a lot of ways. Some I've seen them uh, ding for that in some reviews where, oh, this is, you know, kind of a, a not up to date uh, interior design layout. But I would wager that with some buyers, that might be a plus. It, it yeah. looks like a truck dash. And even the upper trim levels like that LT trim boss, or I'm sorry, trim boss, trail boss, <laughs> uh, the, the trim is trucky you know and and not uh not quite as upscale as a ram but uh yeah for some buyers that might not be a deterrent you know damon a couple of years ago i interviewed ed wellburn who was then the head of general motors design um and one of the things that we talked about briefly was general motors role or general motors position in the truck segment and he sort of seeded that it was gm's position to be sort of centrist and moderate and not to overdo or underdo anything. Mm -hmm. So if it ever comes Mm -hmm. across that GM is sort of splitting hairs on certain things or riding the fence, it's sort of where they mean to be. And so in terms of like the interior, I don't know that it makes sense, and maybe it does, for every truck competitor out there to go over the top with the interior. That's part of the Ram brand now, and it makes sense. But every shopper looking for that. 
or can GM put that money elsewhere? GM's got a 10-speed automatic, which I believe is exclusive in the segment, so they put some money there. So that, that's what makes this segment so insanely cool, is that there are so many options for so many different buyer types, and, and that it depends what you're looking for. Because you cannot ignore how luxurious the RAM is, but that may not appeal to everybody. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and there is so much room, especially with this latest round of, of full-size pickup redesigns, and we're going to see uh, Ford's redesigned F-150 coming very soon as well. I think even despite the pandemic stuff, they're still promising to unveil that this year. We'll see how that pans out. Yeah, uh, that's going to be huge. For sure. And But with each uh, redesigned generation, we see so many clever innovations uh the ram uh well they had the the ram box kind of side panel uh Mm -hmm. storage bins before uh the gmc sierra has the multi-pro tailgate uh which it can you know it folds down it can be a work table there's like a tailgate within a tailgate the center section folds down it can be kind of a work table you open the tailgate and then that becomes a step just very clever uh Ideas and Jill, I'm wondering if you noticed this yet on the Silverado. I think all the uh, the GM new pickups have a hidden storage compartment that's built into the rear seat back. Um, just could be a donut huh. storage space. A donut, yeah. a donut storage space. You could, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I will have to. I will have to look. Um, I have not uh, noticed that yet. I. I, I've started doing this thing where um, on YouTube where I basically climb into the vehicle and, you know, film it while I'm kind of climbing around. So basically discovering things for the first time. So that I will pay particular attention to and make sure that I discover <laughs> the And see how many uh, donuts it fits. And see, yeah. uh, well, my donuts yeah. are small, so it would probably fit like several. <laughs> well, the real question is, is how many Simonellos will, will it fit? So we'll see. None. None. None? Too oh. small for that. Yep, okay. it's very okay. it's a it's a very small. Uh, you couldn't fit a full loaf of bread in there, but uh, oh, okay, that is small. so maybe maybe a dozen spot. donuts. Mm. They're little. We'll see. <laughs> I, I think that chapter three of Jill's autobiography should be titled "My Donuts Are Small." Um, <laughs> on that note, Jill, we got to get moving on here. Do you have you had enough time in the trail, boss, to give it a letter grade? Yeah, you know, I, I, so I have to, after having driven like the F one fifty and the um, Ram fifteen hundred, um, this this does not score as high as either of those. Uh, so I, we're giving letter grades, right? So I would give it like a B minus because it's not comfortable for me. Um, the seats are a little bit hard. It's um, it, it, it's a little bit rough on the road. I mean, where it shines is in the off-road. We, you know, at the Midwest Automotive Media Association Fall Rally, we had the opportunity to take it off-road, and it was amazing. Uh, but, you know, for just I, I, everyday driving, it's just not, for me, comfortable. So I would give it a B or a B minus. It's, it, I like the 15, um, Ram 1500 and F-150 better. All right, there you go. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Robert Colangelo, the host of Green Sense Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I'm Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. That's car guy Tom. I promise to entertain you. All right, our guest today wears many hats, all of which are worth knowing about. He is the host of the excellent Green Sense radio program. He is the founder of Green Sense Farms and the National Brownfield Association. He is an author, a scientist, an entrepreneur, and a really nice guy. Welcome, Robert Colangelo. Tom, do you know what that means coming from the guru of gears? Thank you so much. What a great, great introduction. I don't know. No, Robert, I have nothing but respect for you. For people who don't well, know, I'm sorry, but for people who don't know, I've been a regular guest in Robert's radio show for a long time. So Robert and I are very familiar with each other. And Tom, you constantly amaze me at the depth of your knowledge about cars and everything cars. And that's why you've been dubbed the guru of gears. Well, thank you. 
much. Now, now Robert, you've got all sorts of stuff going up, going on under the Green Sense umbrella. Can you tell us about Green Sense and what you guys are doing? Sure. I've, uh, I'm a scientist uh, by training. I started out at Argonne National Labs doing a variety of uh, research projects in the environmental field. And I've been in the industry my whole career, and I've come up with a philosophy uh, to uh, start companies that are market-based solutions to environmental challenges. So what does that mean? A lot of times uh, government uses legislation to govern behavior. Uh, so we have a whole set of laws that regulate you know, how, how we deal with the water, the soil, the air. And legislation's not always the most effective way to get people to change their behavior. Uh, what I have found is that money and finance tends to change behavior uh, much more than legislation. And a good example, if we relate it back to cars, is uh, when gas is $2 a, a gallon, uh, people don't really care how much gas car, uh, costs or how many miles per gallon they get. But as mm. soon as gas goes up to 10 or $15 a gallon, people are going to change <laughs> their driving behavior. And right. so that's what I've always tried to look at was, you know, what are the environmental challenges out there? How do we bring a market-based solution? So when I started uh, GreenSense uh, and started GreenSense Radio Show, it was really to look for entrepreneurs uh, and innovators that were changing the world with their market-based solutions. And we looked at some of the key sectors that we have as reoccurring guests. And the major sectors that I see out there uh, that we really need to focus on are water, uh, transportation, energy, and food. And they're all interconnected. And so having guests like you uh, talk about uh, solutions out there and you know, what companies are developing good green cars is what a GreenSense show is about. Uh, GreenSense Farms took a market-based solution to agriculture. Uh, the two limiting uh, factors in agriculture, in my mind, are soil and water conservation. Uh, we're losing arable land, and we're getting into drought conditions around the world. So how do we grow more food using less water and less soil? And we pioneered a indoor vertical farming technology that allows us to grow a wide range of crops indoors. And we started out growing lettuce and herbs, and we've converted our original farm into an R&D center and now do contract research for companies that are looking to take their uh, crops indoors where it's much more sustainable and predictable. Um, so that gives you a quick uh, thumbnail on what we do and why we do it. Yeah, it's all crazy impressive. I took my daughter to visit you once. You may remember this to check out the vertical farming operation, and I could not have been more impressed. Uh, now, now, Robert, you've been hosting Green Sense Radio now for what, about a decade or a little bit more than a decade. Yes, uh, ten years. Believe it or not, <laughs> it goes yeah, quick. It, <laughs> it, it really, it really does, and and I've enjoyed being your guest on the program. Uh, over the last decade, what would you say are the things that impressed you most as having changed for the positive, and the things that you would say that you are most disappointed by? Um, I guess uh, it, it's really sort of the guests that have uh, touched me that have been on the uh, show. You know, one of them was Patrick Moore. He was the founder of Greenpeace, and I remember in an interview, we talked about how as a young man uh, up in Vancouver, you know, he took a small inflatable boat and stopped a whaling ship, a big whaling ship, a Japanese uh -huh. whaler in Vancouver. And, you know, I said, well, you know, that was in the uh, late 60s. And, and I asked him, you know, things have changed a lot. You know, uh, do you think we're still at a point where one person can still make a difference? And he emphatically said, that's the only way a difference will be made is, is by that one person. And so that's one thing that I think continues out there is that, you know, there, there needs to be those champions of change. And if we're going to change anything, it's usually driven by that one person uh, who's got the gumption, the motivation and the drive, you know, to step out of the box and has the conviction to do what they believe in. So that is something that I, I don't think has changed is that it still sometimes comes down to that one individual that's willing to stick up for what they believe in and, and change things. Um, 
Another guest that was quite amazing to me was Bertrand Picard. He uh, flew the Solar Impulse. It was the first uh, plane uh, that was a solar plane that flew around the world. And this guy was probably equivalent to Lindbergh in his accomplishments. He was a Swiss flighter pilot. And uh, it was just amazing what he did uh, by circumnavigating the globe in a solar plane. And I asked him, uh, well, you must really have focused on battery technology when you uh, put this plane together. He said, no, we actually partnered with 30 different companies. And one of them was a watch company uh, uh, that looked at how do you conserve energy? So it wasn't just battery uh, power, but how do we use the least amount of energy when we build this plane so that uh, it doesn't need a lot of power to operate. And, and that also stuck with me is that, you know, I think at the end of the day, when we look at the environment, a lot of times is looking at new innovations, but really it's some of the simplest things, you know, being able uh, to conserve things and almost have, I would call it a depression mentality where people conserve resources and uh, 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 from Bertrand, I think that that still holds true. And especially now in, in these coronavirus times, you know, we, we're going to have to look at doing things different, differently and continually uh, conserving, you know, our resources out there. And another uh, uh, interviewee that touched me uh, was uh, James Baylog. He was a award-winning uh, photographer for uh, National Geographic's didn't believe in climate change, and he did this documentary called Chasing Ice. And uh, what, it, what it was was a documentary on him filming uh, five different glaciers on five different con continents using time-release photography. And uh, he, he needed two knee replacements uh, from hiking up all these glaciers. <laughs> and, so the, and, and it was just beautiful photography. And if you ever get a chance, just Google Chasing Ice. And you'll just see spectacular photos. And then when he showed his time relief lapse photography, it looked like these glaciers deflated and how he uh -huh. became a believer in climate change after yeah. uh, this five year uh, documentary. And so I still and his sort of takeaway was don't believe or disbelieve. Use science. And I yeah. think that's something that we're finding more and more. Again, with this COVID-19 virus, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we have to use facts. We need data. We need science. So I think those three uh, people uh, uh, shared some real good insight that continues to be true then and true now. Excellent. Jill, you had a question for Robert? Yeah. So um, I saw you'd done um, a TED Talk a few years ago, and I was, I was listening to it. Um, and one of the things that you said in there I thought was kind of interesting is you called yourself a practical environmentalist. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like what that means and then like how somebody, you know, who is in the car world or somebody who owns a car could um, also be a practical environmentalist. Well, I've just found that being a moderate and being balanced is uh, a good go way to go through life. If you're too far left or too far right, <laughs> It's hard to be inclusive, and you're going to turn people off by your dialogue. And early on in my career, uh, working as a hydrogeologist, cleaning up contaminated groundwater sites, you know, we would go into client meetings, and, you know, at first you'd talk about how you need to do this, it's good for the environment, and quickly you learn that you start to lead with the environment. Usually people aren't going to uh, do anything. You know, that's not enough of a motivator, but if you... Mm -hmm lead with finance and show how they're going to save money or increase mm -hmm. their profitability, you start to get their ears. And that's what I meant by being a practical environmentalist is that mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when you try to get everything, uh, sometimes you get nothing. And so <laughs> yeah. if, uh, <laughs> you know, you try to get people to be environmentalists and change their lifestyles and, you know, do all these things, you're, you're going to turn off a portion of them. But if you could speak to them in terms that they understand the cost benefit, you can start to get them to change their behavior. And, you know, I think a lot of environmentalists are judgmental about others. I, I think mm -hmm. you can't really be judgmental about how people deal with the environment. You need to, you know, more educate them and show them ways 
that that benefits them, you know, mm-hmm. and why they do something almost doesn't matter as much as that they do it. So I'd rather have somebody uh, conserve gas because they save money uh, rather than they do it to save the environment. It still produces the end result. And so that's what I mean by being practical. Right. No, that that makes total sense. And so oh. you you talk about like, um, you know, using less gas will save you money. Like, are there some other examples how people in, you know, the automotive or, you know, thinking in terms of cars, how people could be like a practical environmentalist? Well, sure. I think one of the best examples is UPS. A couple of years ago, when they uh, looked at improving their sustainability, they took a look at their trucks, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but they have you know thousands of these, hundreds of thousands, and they drive millions of miles a year. Mm-hmm. And someone sat down, and they went into the boardroom and said, hey, what happens if we don't make any left turns and we reroute our whole system? Yes, so <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> right, is make right turns. I'm, I'm sure yeah. they all, I'm, I'm sure whoever proposed it got laughed out of the boardroom. And then someone... Uh, started thinking about it and realized, wow, you know, this could be really good. When you make a left turn, you stop, so you waste time. You have to cut across traffic, so there's Mm -hmm. a higher increase of potential accidents. And uh, so they rerouted their fleet where possible to only make right turns. They ended up saving 3 million uh, gallons of gas, reduced accidents, and increased their profitability. So Mm -hmm. to me, that's really sustainability. It's not... You know, it's not spending all this money. It's taking time to rethink how we do things and mm-hmm. and getting a big benefit by making incremental change on small actions multiplied by millions of times. Yeah. I love that. Now, now, Robert, do you are you ever frustrated, given what you just said about about small changes? Are you ever frustrated by by the pace of change? And I ask this question with an example. When I started at Consumer Guide Automotive sometime in 2002, we had a long-term Lincoln Navigator in our test fleet. And that car returned 10, 11 miles per gallon on a regular basis. It was incredibly thirsty. Now, almost 20 years later, if you drive a Lincoln Navigator, you may see 16, 17 miles per gallon. That is a 70% improvement in fuel economy, but it took 20 years. And it's one of those things where if you look at it, from where my point of view right now, like, wow, that's great. 70% improvement in fuel economy. But if you're living it, it seems to have taken forever. And it just, it seems to me that a lot of the things that we hope will happen in terms of, of making the world a cleaner place seem to take place at such a slow pace that it's hard to appreciate them. And it's hard to share their value with, with the people around us. So Tom, I think you bring out an excellent point. I, I'm more frustrated with policy. I, I think Right now, we have the technology to change and solve most problems. Our problem as political systems is political systems and policies have not kept pace with technological change. And that's really where I get get very frustrated is that um, if we had the right uh, policies and politics in place, I think things would happen much quicker. Instead, you basically yeah. have government, you know, trying to stop uh, failing systems from failing. And, <laughs> you know, part of capitalism is failure. You know, bankruptcies right. are good. Good. They clean the system. You know, when institutions are ready to fail, don't prop them up. Let, let them die and let the new ones come on. And that, to me, is the biggest uh, frustration I find is that you've got these great entrepreneurs, you've got great innovators out there that are very passionate about change, but they get stopped uh, by political roadblocks. And I'll give you a very simple example. In Philadelphia, when uh, uh, green buildings first came about, uh, there was a building that was one of the first platinum lead buildings. And as part of that, they had waterless urinals. But the building code in Philadelphia said that when you have a urinal, it has to be put in by a, with a plumber, and the water pipes have to be all copper. Well, there was no water to these, but they still had to hook all these up because of the mm. building code. And so this is what I mean by government sort of being in the way, is you've got these great ideas, you've got water-saving technologies, but you're constantly butting heads you know, with, with government that, that can't change uh, quick enough to adapt to technologies. So, you know, that's sort of my take on that is that, um, 
the frustration is that, uh, you know, we're being blocked everywhere you look uh, by government, government not, you know, keeping up. It's not to say there's not there's great people in the environmental field in government that are very passionate about this. Yeah, and uh, but they're also, I think, equally frustrated within the bureaucracies that they have to work. Right. You know, an interesting example of that, Robert, too, is the development of autonomous vehicles, which is which is technology that would certainly lead to to some conservation of energy. But the in in terms of developing these vehicles, companies like Waymo and Cruise Automation are constantly running into state legislatures that are not allowing them to test these vehicles. And there have been a huge high profile accidents, um, a couple of which did result in deaths, unfortunately. But if, if testing for these vehicles is not understood and not allowed on some level, we will never see this technology or it's going to take forever until we see it. Yes. Well, you know, Tom, I'm, I'm very grateful for you. You know, we've been able to do the Chicago Auto Show together numerous, numerous times. Uh, yeah. You helped get me cars that I could test drive. So when I look back at the auto show, when we did our first auto show and we started to focus on green cars, I don't remember the date, but I remember there was like only maybe two at the auto show. Uh, and and uh, now when you go to the auto show, it, it's almost normalized. Everybody's looking at you know, trying to be a hybrid or increase the miles per gallon or uh, have an EV. Um, so uh, you do look back and, uh, you know, things are changing uh, fast. They're not changing as fast as we like, but boy, the U.S. has gotten pretty green uh, when I look around, you know, from uh, places like Gary, Indiana. When I was a kid, you couldn't drive through there without rolling up your windows and holding your nose. And now the air is much cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Look at Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan's gotten, uh, you know, much cleaner. Uh, And now with the coronavirus, you know, I've looked at reports, pollution's way down, mainly Mm. because uh, car miles travel is way down. So uh, things are getting better out there. um, but, But I do agree they could probably get much better. Excellent. Now, now, Robert, if people wanted to learn more about Green Sense Farm and to listen to Green Sense Radio, how would they do that? Uh, they could just uh, visit our website, greensensefarms.com. Uh, and in there, there's a uh, button for the Green Sense Radio Show. Um, we uh, are on WBBM Chicago. Uh, we do a, uh, a Green Sense Minute that airs a few times during the, the week, which is a vignette of our best interviews uh, that we do on the podcast. And uh, uh, we put the podcast out once a week. And each week we feature a different innovator out there that is changing the world with their uh, innovations. Excellent. Well, Robert, it has been awesome talking to you today. We're going to have to get you back on the show soon. Uh, But thank you for joining us. Tom, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and your colleagues. Uh, You do a great job out there. And again, I'm amazed at the depth of knowledge you've had. I've always liked cars, but just by talking (laughs) with you over the years, I've learned so much. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Well, awesome, Robert. Thank you for joining us. All right. This is the Green Sense. (laughs) No, this isn't Green Sense. (laughs) This is the Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thank you for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Yes. Hey, Jill, how can kids follow you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, just search for my name. So Jill, um, with a J, not a G, um, Jill Simonello, C-I-M. <laughs> has that been a problem? Wouldn't that, <laughs> it has wouldn't that been, be you would think, uh, but no, the people who are called Jillian, um, who be, you know, oh. begin with a G, they spell okay. their name Jill with a G. So it's Jill with a J. All right. <laughs> and then Simonello, C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Uh, but it's all one word. Um, and that, that is actually my social media handle on pretty much everything. So YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. There you go. Hey, Damon. Yes. Same question to you, sir. Uh, 
I'm on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars, and I also contribute to uh, Collectible Automobile and Consumer Guide's uh, Facebook presence. Yes, you do, and thanks for doing that. All right, Gil, Damon, uh, it, is, <laughs> it, it is quiz time. In honor of our visit with Robert Colangelo, today's topic is green cars. Uh, so I hope, you're, I hope you're ready. Uh, there's five questions. Is the Toyota, is the Toyota Starlet uh, one of the involved in the quiz at any no, I still have bad memories. You know I what? I have great. bad memories. Friend of the show, <laughs> Sam Fiorani, uh, got a hold of me, and apparently I made mistakes in the Starlet question. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, and I made so many mistakes, I'm not going to issue a retraction. I'm just going to <laughs> set fire to that particular copy of the quiz. So, Sam, uh, thank you for keeping me on, the, on my toes. We'll have to have you back we, on the show soon. We need to bring him on board as our official fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> He already Actually, is our fact checker. Tom yeah. needs to submit copies of the quiz to Sam before he brings them to us. So then, you know, I'm just saying, I'm going to put that out there. I want to say this is the third time he's called me out. <laughs> I think the lesson I here think is we need to send him some donuts. Jill, we need to send Sam some donuts. There you go. Maybe, maybe there could be some gluten-free donuts in his future, too. All right. All right. Sam is officially on the donut distribution list. All right. <laughs> It is now Consumer Guide Car Stuff Power Quiz time. The topic is green cars. You guys know the rules. I give you a question. You both get a chance to answer. The person with the most win, most points at the end of the quiz wins. We do have a bonus question that we don't normally use or that I get wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. The first question. And I think Damon goes first this week. Yes. All right. Uh, what is the published range of the Kia Nero EV? This is 2020. Is it 201 miles, 225 miles, 239 miles, or 307 miles? Um, I will say 239 miles. Jill? That was actually what I was going to say as well. You are both correct. One point for each of you. All right. All right. What is it? It's Jill with a G and Damon, one point <laughs> each. Got it. All right. How many Chevy Bolt EVs were sold in 2019? Oh. Was it 9,101, 16,418, 25,321, or 101,007? Jill. For, for a minute there, I thought you were going to say 101. <laughs> <laughs> that last answer. Um, what, it, was that for the 2019 model year, did you say? Yes, it was. Yes. Uh. I'm going to go with, what was it? The first one was 9,000 something, right? 9,101. I'm going to go with that one. All right. Damon? I will say the one up from that. What was that, 16? 16,418. Damon, you are correct. Uh, Ooh. Well yes. done. Hey, right. you may actually, you have a chance at winning this week. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's been so long. It has been like car stuff like power quiz trash talk. <laughs> wow, I just recall way earlier how there was someone who was always complaining that oh I'm never going to win. Oh, yeah, well, that's how the tides you turn. About obscure things. This is stuff that I actually kind of know about. <laughs> kind All of. Right. Hey kids, which of the following <laughs> is not a Tesla Model Y color? Oh, solid black, oyster shell tricoat. Deep blue or red multi-coat? I'm going to go with the oyster mm. shell, whatever. Wasn't it my turn to go first? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm taking it anyway. All right. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm it gonna, was actually. I'm gonna say, Sorry. Uh, that's okay. So you're saying oyster shell. I'm going to mm -hmm. say that red multi-coat. Wow. It's oyster shell. That's the fake. Uh. Jill gets a Jill, point. You guys are back tied in the game. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you All can right. go first this time. I won't. I won't overstep. Okay. Okay, Damon. How many Mercedes-Benz <laughs> GLC 350e plug-in hybrids were sold in 2019? Was it 93, 801, 2459, or 36,009? <laughs> Those are, that's some crazy rage there uh, I'm sorry I'm going to have to have you read that question again sure. uh, I was taken aback 
And tell me the, the tell me the name of tell me the name of the car again. Yes, it's the GLC 350E plug-in hybrid. So this is the compact Mercedes-Benz crossover. Okay. And plug-in okay. hybrid guys. 93 801 2459 or 36,009. Mm, I will say the 801 number. All right, Jill. I was going to say that as well. So I'll, I'll make it interesting and I'll say, was it 93? 93. Yes. Okay, you're both wrong. Ah. Uh, it, was, it was 2459, which is a pretty good uh, showing for a German plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Those have not been selling well. Uh, for the that, record, was my ne- that was my second guess. Yeah. yeah no, I was I'm actually surprised the number was that high. Yeah. Huh. Mercedes sold 73,650 GLCs. Two hundred or 2,459 were the plug-in hybrids. So what is that? About 3%. That's, that's not bad, all things considered. <laughs> okay, we're up to the last question. You guys are tied at two each. Are you ready? Yes. Is this supposed to be the tiebreaker or is this the last question? This is the last the tiebreaker. Question. Okay. All right. Which of the following is not a Nissan Leaf trim level? Mm. This is Jill first, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Unless, unless because I took Damon's, if he wants to go first this time, I would totally let him do it. No, we're even okay. out. Okay. Well, kudos on the chivalry. Um, <laughs> I'm nothing but chivalrous. <laughs> All right. S plus, SV plus, SL plus, or SL platinum plus. Okay. Could you read those one more time? I can. S plus, <laughs> SV plus, SL plus, or SL platinum plus. Uh, I'm going to go with SL Platinum Plus. All right. Yeah, I think I have to agree with her on that. You're both correct. Uh, All right. You're tied at three. And now we have the question I'm sure both of you know. This is the bonus question. (laughs) Um, I hope you're ready. Guys, one gallon of gasoline contains approximately the same energy potential as as how much electricity? Is it 11 kilowatts? 27 kilowatts, 33 kilowatts, or 79 kilowatts? Hmm. That should have been kilowatt hour. Sorry. I should know that off the top of my head. I'm embarrassed to say I don't. Can you read the question again? Sorry. Uh huh. One gallon of gasoline contains approximately the same energy potential as how much electricity? 11 kilowatt hours, 27 kilowatt hours, 33 kilowatt hours, or 79 kilowatt hours? I'm going to say 27. Jill? I will say 33. Oh, Jill takes it on the bonus question. Ah! Yeah! Woohoo! And I'm totally act like I didn't guess on that. I totally <laughs> knew that. The great mystery of electric cars, then, is that a Chevy Bolt with a 60-kilowatt-hour battery uh, actually has the energy, pot- energy potential of less than two gallons of gas. Hmm. Interesting. I anyway. know we're like, huh, let's, let's ponder that for a moment. <laughs> or not. It seemed, to, it seemed to result in dead air, so maybe we don't go there. <laughs> that, that's true, especially since we are um, getting close to uh, where we need to wind down. So Yeah. And speaking <laughs> of winding down, hey, Damon. Yes. What's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog? Uh, we've got, as usual, a bunch of great stuff. Uh, our normal roster of uh, new test drive reviews. We've got the the new for 2020 Mazda CX-30. That's a small end of the compact uh, crossover class uh, that slots in just below, or just I'm sorry, just above the Mazda CX-3 and below the Mazda CX-5. Kind of an interesting uh, sporty crossover. Uh, we've got the also uh, new, in, as in redesigned for 2020, and and yeah, not a moment too soon because uh, the previous generation was was sort of an also ran in the category. That's the Nissan Sentra, a uh, nice yeah. looking compact car in a very striking monarch orange color. Uh, we have a uh, a very fresh review of the speaking of uh, compact and midsize pickups. We touched on this earlier. We've got our new review of the the 2020 Jeep Gladiator Mojave, which is uh, a just introduced uh, trim level uh, that is 
engineered for high speed desert running. Uh, so, uh, rough and rugged pickup. I would not be surprised to see a, uh, Wrangler version of the Mojave in the near future, mm -hmm. but for now it's available only on the gladiator pickup. Uh, so those are our three car reviews, uh, that we did. We also have a, uh, video review from our radio friend, Steven Johnny. They drove the 2020 Mitsubishi Outlander sport 2.4 GT, uh, compact That's SUV there. So it is a lot of name and, uh, they, uh, did a test drive and, uh, we've got that video posted. Um, we also did, uh, Tom, you did a forgotten concept where we look back at, uh, concept uh, vehicles of the past uh, distant past and not so distant past that have sort right. of more or less been lost to the sands of time and uh i had forgotten about this one it's interesting to look at it again uh almost 15 years later and that's the 2006 chrysler imperial concept uh yeah very very uh this was it, it's interesting to think back at that mid that 2005 time frame yeah. when Chrysler was riding high with the 300 and it seemed like they had a lot of juice at the time and an expansion of that awesome 300 styling would have been kind of a no brainer. Uh, and the Imperial basically took that a little upscale. The results, eh, not, not a timeless <laughs> beauty. <laughs> so tell us how you really uh, feel. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, as you, as you say in the article, Tom, it, you're the you you're it's compelling from a conceptual standpoint but maybe not so much in the execution yeah it, it sort of crossed my mind that that chrysler could have and might have established an imperial brand which would be a, a luxury channel for them not unlike what hyundai is doing with genesis now but of course the great recession wiped that completely out right all right yeah, one and more as you were saying we're out of time yes here. sure we did uh i, I did a write-up uh the coronavirus has affected so many things, and one of those things is the startup of Corvette C8 production. Um, and there's, it, it's kind of up in the air at this point whether the 2020 Corvettes that they've built so far will end up being the only 2020 mm. Corvettes. And they're, yeah. they and managed to so. produce about, yeah, it, it's the, it's still a question if things happen that they can get the production line started up again uh it, there may be more but at this point chevrolet has managed to produce about 2700 just a tick under 2700 there is a possibility although we can't say for sure that that might be it for 2020 corvettes there you go all right there's a lot more stuff we just don't have time to talk about it today uh, we had a great show. Special thanks to our guest, Robert Colangelo from Green Sense Radio. Be sure to check his stuff out at Green Sense Farm. Our thanks, as always, to producer Paul, who makes us sound better than we are, which is a <laughs> heck of a task. Uh, good, uh, special thanks to our good friends at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. Super helpful during this coronavirus nightmare. Uh, thanks to my guest hosts today, Damon Bell and Gil Simonillo. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, thanks to my radio mentors, Steve and Johnny. Uh, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be back in seven days. Thanks a lot.